0: All right, so that brings us to our Bible study once again, and uh, we are in the book of Esther. And I need to make a couple of corrections as I was going through my notes and uh, going back through what I said last week. I realized that I got some things confused and uh, did not copy them correctly into my notes. And so I do want to make a couple of corrections as we uh, get started here tonight. First of all, it was likely Esther's... Family, not Esther herself, that was taken from Palestine in 597. So at the invasion, which was the second part of 3, when Nebuchadnezzar invaded Palestine, Nebuchadnezzar being the king of Babylon, which was the ruling empire that was taking over the world, the known world there in the Middle East and beyond. And he first came in 605, that's when he took Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Came back in 597, had another invasion, and that is likely when Mordecai and Esther's family was taken from Palestine and taken to Babylon into captivity. So, if we go to Esther chapter number 2, and we go down to verse number 5. Now, in Shushan the palace, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jer, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite who had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captivity, which had been carried away with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. So it would have been Mordecai's grandparents that were probably taken in 597. And from there, of course, Mordecai and Esther's family likely was also involved in that uh, deportation. And so we are talking about a second and third generation now, from the original group that was taken in 597. So that would mean if the book of Esther, if the events of the book of Esther took place between the first and the second return, then we'd be looking at somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, 530 B.C., because the first return was by Zerubbabel after Cyrus's decree, so 538 B.C., Zerubbabel brought a group back to Palestine after Cyrus's decree. The second group was in 458. So somewhere between 538 and 458 would have been the events of the book of Esther. So that would have made Mordecai in the neighborhood of 115, 120 years of age, and Esther in the neighborhood of 80 or 90. So, again, my, my mistake there, I should have... Uh, caught that, I had read it, I didn't copy it into my notes correctly, did not get it all straight in my mind, and so I apologize, it was probably their, Esther's grandparents or Mordecai's grandparents, we know, because they're mentioned by name, so probably Esther's family as well, and then Esther and Mordecai were probably born later, and then now Esther is just uh, a young lady, uh, here, again, probably around 530, uh, maybe a little uh, later than that, uh, B.C., between the first and second returns. So, again, a little bit more of her background for review. She was uh, from the tribe of Benjamin, based on Esther, excuse me, chapter 2 and verse 5. We know also that her parents uh, were dead. Verse number 7, For she had neither father nor mother, and the maid was fair and beautiful, whom Mordecai, when her father and mother were dead, took for his own daughter. So Mordecai was obviously older And after Esther was born and her parents then passed away, under whatever circumstances, we're not sure, Mordecai becomes, in a sense, her father. As her cousin, he raises her uh, there in Babylon. She's given a Persian name of Esther, and her Hebrew name is, I have been pronouncing it Hadassah, but I guess it is Hadassah is the proper pronunciation, Hadassah. And so uh, that name means uh, Myrtle which is a flowery bush or tree, and obviously uh, very beautiful, and Esther is her Persian name. So she has to learn how to be a queen in a pagan empire to a pagan king. That king is what we know in historical records as Xerxes. Xerxes would be his Greek name. He is the third king in the Persian Empire, We had the Babylonian Empire, we know Nebuchadnezzar, and then we go down to Belshazzar, and the Medo-Persian Empire came in as Belshazzar was having the party, and there was the writing on the wall, and then the Medo-Persian Empire conquered the Babylonian Empire, and Cyrus was the king of the Medo-Persian Empire. He gave the decree for the Israelites to be able to return to Palestine. That was the first group, 538, Zerubbabel. So in Daniel 9, in verse number 1, Cyrus is also mentioned as Ahasuerus. Darius is the son, and he is the son of Ahasuerus. So from there, we ascertain that Ahasuerus is probably a title like Pharaoh, like Herod, uh, those types of titles that were used in ancient days, Maybe similar to how we use president, prime minister. Obviously, a lot of different names. We have President uh, Biden, President Clinton, President Trump. They had their Hasueruses, their pharaohs, their Herods. So, we have Cyrus, Darius, and now Xerxes. Xerxes is the third king of the Medo-Persian Empire. In In Esther 1, there is a great... You can call it a feast, according to verse number five. And when these days were expired, the king made a feast unto all the people that were present in Shushan the palace, both unto great and small seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace. Well, that seven days was added to a feast in verse number four that lasted 180 days. So these kings, these pagan kings in our world empire, they knew how to party, didn't they? They had a lot of money, they had a lot of alcohol, a lot of perversion, a lot of sensuality. Just as we see in the pagan culture around us, what do the pagans do? Immorality, sensuality, alcohol, and all of the debauchery that goes with partying. Now, the first 180 days... Historical records seem to indicate that it was a time of not just partying, but for there to be a strategy developed for Xerxes to attack the Greek Empire. The Greek Empire, okay, as this is in the power, different areas of power in the ancient world, and it continues to this day, man is a power-hungry individual, Whether it be men or it be women, I know men are the most susceptible to this temptation. But we have all throughout history the desire and the thirst for power. What do we have now? We have China, we have Russia, even our own politicians are bloodthirsty for power. Even in America we see the desire to change the Supreme Court, to have all the control of all the branches of government under one party so that there can be certain worldview policies and other types of perversions put into place. Because man is wanting power. We know the Antichrist and the false prophet will eventually bring the world into a one-world government and there will be, for a brief period of time, a one-world rule one, world, one world Uh, Ruler, supreme ruler, he will not last long. We know in the Bible, in the tribulation, in the seven years, and we won't get into all the details there. But already, Greece is beginning to rise in power in the east. Alexander the Great will eventually become the new world emperor. Well, Xerxes sees that Greece is rising in power and he is going to squash that. He is going to exert his power over what is now a rising power source over in Greece. So probably that 180 days is part of their strategy session to prepare for the invasion of Greece to put that down because they see and they hear of the rise of the the Greek Empire, particularly under Alexander the Great as he is gaining more and more power and influence. So at the end of that 180-day strategy session, there is probably then the seven-day party party full-blown party with all of the debauchery, alcohol, and everything without getting into obviously detail. We can only imagine. That is when Vashti is asked to come and basically to show herself to the men there and for him to uh, talk to, you know, show, show her off to the military leaders, to the executives, the diplomats, all of those in their names and titles uh, that can be mentioned from uh, the the time of of the Book of Esther. So you have the 180 days, you have the seven-day feast, Vashti is asked to come and to show herself to the the politicians, to the military leaders. Okay? But I want to come back to this In a few moments, this is, again, historical context. It is then that Esther, of course, will eventually come on the scene because Vashti, when she is brought to that party, when she is asked, I should say, to be brought to that party, what does Vashti do? She refuses. So there's all the argument and the debate as to why Vashti will not come. You have to remember, in a pagan kingdom... Women were treated with disrespect. They were not treated with dignity. We talked a little bit about this last Wednesday and again on Sunday. Pagan cultures often are very disrespectful of women and mistreat them as well as children. Look at the Taliban in Afghanistan. Look at even primarily Muslim countries where there's false religion, where there's a lot of paganism and idolatry. Women are often mistreated. Again, it is biblical Christianity that changed the world and gave women the dignity that they deserve as female human beings made in the image of God. And we see as our culture becomes more and more pagan, pushing God and the Bible out, there is more disrespect for women and for children, unborn life, end of life, And women and children are often the biggest and the greatest victims. And so in a pagan culture now, Vashti is asked to come and to basically show show off. He wants to parade his beautiful queen in front of these diplomats, these military leaders, etc. The commentators debate, why did she refuse? Well, think about it. Maybe she was tired of being treated like a doormat. Maybe Vashti was tired of being treated with disrespect. Maybe she was tired of just being a pawn um, in the, the hands of the king. Maybe she was tired of just being objectified by the king and his men, the politicians. Again, our culture and pagan cultures and cultures that push God out and the Bible out and the truth out. When become, women become objects. They're just a tool in the hands of greedy, lustful men. Vashti could very well have been saying, I'm tired of being treated this way. I'm not just going to be another object as I get paraded out in front of all these drunken men. There's also been, among the commentators, the idea that she was asked to do something inappropriate very possible we're not given that detail but it's very possible i'm not trying to be disrespectful here i'm not trying to be indiscreet but when a bunch of drunken men get together who are pagan and they ask a beautiful woman to come she's not going to be leading a bible study she's going to be asked to do things that are not appropriate so vashti is saying i'm done with this now Vashti, in a pagan kingdom where there's not respect for women, what would Vashti likely have been forced to consider if she said no? (sighs) Right? Off with her head, the guillotine, the gallows. So Vashti was taking her own life, in a sense, into her hands. So all of that is the context now. So what we understand in the historical record is that Xerxes decides to go forward with the invasion of Greece. I believe, and I'm not here to give you all the history, and I can't even remember everything that I've read. I didn't type everything in because I don't want to bore you with all of these historical facts. I I have to be careful because I love all this history, and I really don't want to bore you with all this. But if I remember right, there was a... A victory, and then he had two defeats. Thermopylae, I believe, was the big, one of the big defeats, and the Greek navy conquered the Medo-Persian navy, and Xerxes was pushed back, and the Greek empire continued to rise in strength. Alexander the Great continues to gain power. All right, all that being said now, Xerxes comes home with his tail between his legs, so to speak, and he is deciding he's going to have to reinforce his power and reexert his strength, and now he needs a new queen, so he's back, and he needs to come up with a new queen. What does a pagan king already have in place? He has something called a harem. And I don't have to get into the descriptions of a harem and what all that involves, but basically it's not a good thing for the ladies or even for the men. Okay? The harem is there for the, the king uh, to take advantage of those, those women. It's not a good thing for, for either. So from that harem, then, he is going to choose a queen because he wants to survey the crowd, so to speak. He wants to survey the harem, but he needs a new queen, so he has the message go out that he's going to have, in a sense, a beauty pageant. He's going to go out, and he's going to have all of these different leaders, messengers... And they're going to bring in the most beautiful women of the land. They're going to be chosen to join Xerxes' harem, and from there, then, he will choose his queen. Okay? So, what, of course, does Xerxes have the men do? As I just mentioned, he has them look for the most beautiful women. Okay. What did we just read about Esther? I talked about this a little bit last week. I thought I probably should go back. Because I felt like I was in a little bit of a hurry, and I wanted to make sure I made this, this clear, and, and uh, we, we dealt with these principles. But Esther chapter 2, and then we see there in verse number 7, the mention of Hadassah, Esther. And we see there that she has identified, or she has mentioned as part of her characteristics, that she is what? She has described in two words, what? Fair and beautiful. It is okay to acknowledge physical beauty. It is okay to acknowledge that. The Bible references in other places, Rebecca, Genesis 24 and verse 16, her beauty. Rachel and Leah in Genesis 29. Leah had some sort of droopier eyes or something of that sort, and she was not as beautiful as Rachel. Jacob loved Rachel and part of what attracted him to her was she was more beautiful than Leah. And then we know that he was deceived by his father-in-law. David was mentioned as a, a ruddy or a handsome uh, young man. Even as David, as David sinned with Bathsheba, it is referenced in that passage there that Bathsheba was very beautiful. It is okay to acknowledge physical beauty. This is going to play very uh, very large in the story of Esther. So let's make some points here. Does physical beauty determine, so- determine someone's character? Of course not. Some of the most beautiful people, attractive, beautiful by the world standards, people in the world have the, some of the worst character, involved in some of the worst scandals, live some of the most immoral lives. Beauty is obviously not the determining factor for someone's character. Should beauty be the standard by which we treat people? But that happens a lot in our culture, doesn't it? Who, I'm not, you don't have to name any names. You're going to be able to identify the names, some of you, as soon as I say it. But a certain gymnast, one post, and she gets $500,000. For one post, she has an NIL, and she makes one post, I read, and she made $500,000 on one post on Instagram, I think it was, or something like that. And what is the primary character trait of an individual like that? I don't know a lot about her character, but just from what I have read and what I understand... She is not of the most sterling character, especially if she is going to throw her body around the way she does. But what is she getting money for? Her beauty. Her body. Her physical character traits. Okay? That's what our culture puts emphasis on, doesn't it? It's all about looks. It's all about beauty. It's all about the, the appeal. That's what so much of our culture is just laser focused on and obsessed with and that is not the standard by which we should treat people physical beauty does not make a person of greater or less dignity but that's the way our culture often treats people the more beautiful and more handsome they get more attention and they get more money and they get more this and that and I've told boys for years I would tell young men and I've told my own sons watch out that beautiful girl, oh, yeah, she's, she's going to flirt with you. She's going to make you look good in front of everybody. All your, all your bros are going to be jealous, but watch out. That pretty girl is often the highest maintenance. She's often flirtatious. She's often got three or four or five guys that she's stringing along. And I would watch guys at college. And there was one girl in particular, and I had a roommate, and he just thought that he liked this girl. He just was falling in love with this girl. And I, none of us could talk any sense into him. I was like, this, she's got three or four guys that she's stringing along, and I bet you she doesn't like any of them. And sure enough, we get down to right before graduation, and she drops all four of those guys that were chasing her. And she's got some other guy that she's been after all along. And she was just playing the whole, and I just told these guys, and I've told boys, watch out. One wrong woman will ruin your life. That's why Proverbs says, lust not after her beauty in your heart. Okay? Because how many NFL NBA athletes, superstar athletes, have been out messing around. It takes one girl, and now he's got a big paycheck, and she's now bringing allegations of impropriety. And everything was all fun and games, and it was all innocent, and all of this consent stuff, but now he's got how many allegations and how many lawsuits? And I won't even use the phrase that I have told, told my boys, okay? Okay. But watch out. Watch out. One wrong girl, one wrong decision, and your life can be ruined. I got, a text on, I got a text yesterday from one of my best friends in all the world. And he has been dragged through the courts because of a bad decision he made 25 years ago. And God forgives and God overcomes and God has richly blessed this friend of mine in great ways. He has a wonderful wife now. But he messed up 25 years ago and I have been in tears with him. I've been in prayer with him. I've been on the phone with him as he has been dragged through court after court, lawyer after lawyer, false accusation after false accusation. Because he messed around with one wrong woman, wrong time, wrong place. And it messed his life up. Now, God has given him great victory. He has a wonderful wife, beautiful kids. But he has told me repeatedly how much he regrets that kind of life. So we have to be careful. And then, does physical beauty make someone less or more in the image of God? Made less or more in the image of God? Of course not. But that's the way, again, our culture many times treats people. And then I left, I left it off um, but I mentioned already Proverbs 6 and verse 25. Physical beauty is not to be lusted after. Lust not after her beauty in thine heart. Proverbs 6 and verse 25. So was Esther a beautiful woman? Fair and beautiful? Yes. And it will play into her life, into her story in a significant way. Because she goes into the harem of a pagan king. Mordecai and Esther get together and they decide should she be a part of this beauty pageant. Now, we're we'll have to close and come back next week and finish this up, but I don't want this to be all about the negative with Esther, because God was providential and God was working, but should, just think about it, should Esther, I know we've heard the Sunday school story, and believe me, she's a woman of great courage and wisdom, we'll get to some of that, but you think about it, should Esther have entered into a pagan beauty pageant to be part of a harem for a pagan king? It's an interesting thought. The commentators bring it up. I never heard this in Sunday school. <laughs> it's okay, because she's a wonderful role model for, for, for girls today in a lot of ways. But should she have been a part of a, king, a pagan king's harem to become the queen of Of a pagan king. Should that have been her goal. Again God overcomes. God overrules. God in his providence blessed. And she will grow in her faith. And we'll talk some more about that. But it's an interesting thought. And when you compare her to Daniel. What did Daniel do? He purposed in his heart. That he would not eat the king's meat. Esther did what? However many years after Daniel. Esther is eating the king's meat. In a harem. Under the leadership of a eunuch by the name of Haggai. Again, God was providentially overruling, and God would use her and overcome, and her faith would grow. But some interesting thoughts. We'll come back next week and finish this up, turned into a three-week lesson. Um, But I hope that's okay. But thanks for being here. Thanks for your faithfulness. And I hope this has been a help to us tonight. And so let's pray, and then we'll be... Oh, Derek, yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, and on the flip side, ladies, if, if there's a guy, look at, look at how he treats his mother. Look at how he treats other women in his life, especially his mom. If, his, if he's not treating his mom well, if he's not treating ladies correctly, if he's not a gentleman, if he doesn't love the Lord, if he doesn't have the character of a godly man, he's going to be a loser. He's going to be trouble. So it's a warning for, for the ladies as well as the men. Brian? Brian? Oh, I'm sorry. Um, Derek, you mind? Because I'm not going to quote it right. Yeah, she needs to love the Lord more than she loves the man, her, her boyfriend, fiancé, and the same thing for the guy. She needs to love, he needs to love the Lord more than they love each other. And uh, I talk about that in premarital counseling with the triangle and growing, first of all, in your love for God and then husband and wife grow together, but God is at the, the top, and they're to be growing their love for the Lord. All right. Thank you for that and for the input. Let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you for our time together tonight. Thank you for the life of Esther, for the lessons we can learn, and help us, Lord, to apply these truths and live them out and to live for you. And pray, Lord, for these many needs, the Miller family, for Karen, the Rumbas, Lynn Fox. Pray for Gloria Trotsky as she's recovering from surgery as well as many others. Uh, Pray for Bill and his family, the loss of his mom, and uh, just pray for grace and for your uh, direction and your will in each of these lives and these situations, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great rest of the week. Look forward to seeing you on Sunday.